For Overheard Productions, I'm talking with Fred Smith this morning. He's in Canberra. I'm up here in Queensland. Fred's uh, got a new book coming out uh, for a project that seems to just grow and metamorphosize and add extra layers to. It's called The Dust of Uruzgan. Let's talk about it now with Fred Smith. G'day, Fred. Cool. How are you going? Very good, my friend. And yourself? Now, I mentioned Dust of Uruzgan. Uh, that started as, well, first of all, as an experience for you as both a musician and a diplomat. Maybe you can just start off by just telling us a little bit about that. Yeah, well, it sort of started as a war, then turned into an album, and then into a theatre show, and then into a musical, and now into a book. It's a pretty straightforward sort of setup, really. <laughs> it's the usual story, you know, with us folk singers. That old chestnut. Yeah. <laughs> what happened was, back in 2009, you know, I worked for the Foreign Affairs Department, and uh, it was we needed to send diplomats to work alongside our troops down in Uruzgan province. And I stuck my hand up and went and developed a role sort of liaising with tribal leaders and provincial government officials. And, but the place was fascinating and stimulating and narrative rich and sad and funny and all those things. And so I ended up writing a lot of songs. And I put them on the album Dust of Uruzgan. And now my little daughter Ollie wants me to go and play. That's okay, we can work with this now. Well, this is always useful because you're somebody who gives the audience what they want and basically what you're getting is some immediate feedback on your performance right now in the form of your daughter. That's right. That's right. She wants me to come down here. We can do this. We can do both. We, we, we are men. We can multitask. We can grow beards if we want to. We can grow beards if we want to. I want to ask you this, which is actually as an interview, I'm not going to say I want to ask a question because that's basically on the duty statement. But Fred... You've done something similar in the past in a different part of the world. Was that something that you thought, well, I've already got the skill set for this, I can go and apply that in in, uh, Afghanistan? Or was there something particular about the culture and about the situation there that you wanted to go and engage with? In terms of why I went initially? Yeah. No, frankly, you know, I was ambivalent about it, to tell the truth. I had no particular affinity for the Afghan situation. I had just released two albums and toured them in Canberra. I was exhausted from being a musician. I thought I needed a bit of peace and quiet, and so I took the job in Afghanistan. That's basically what happened. But of course, it wasn't much peace and quiet there. There were folks shooting at us and all that sort of stuff. It was a, um, a disappointment, but you get that in wars. But I ended up you know, being quite passionate about it. It was a fascinating project, the Afghanistan project. Um, you know, very complex, competitive society, and we were there trying, trying to make a difference in it all. And, uh, and of course, the key to it all was just to understand what was going on around us. And... Yeah, you mentioned those two albums that you were touring beforehand. Now, am I right in saying that one of those was Texas? One of them was Texas, yeah. I came back from the United States in late 2007, having spent three years there, released, released that album. So you've pretty much gone from an environment of, you know, laid back Tacoma, beautiful Texas, great big long drives, the People's Republic of O'Connor in Canberra, to Afghanistan. Was that a bit of a shock? Did you get a bit of a culture shock with all of that? Or had you already were you already primed to expect that sort of chaos? Well, I think I was primed to expect that sort of culture shock. I mean, the main thing was I was living with the military, and that's, that's a big culture shock. Yeah. Different temperament than the people in the folk music scene, for example. But one adjusts, and I'd, I'd worked closely with the military in Bougainville before, of course. So you know, I, I understand their language and the way they approach things. So it's it's fine, there, and they're, you know, they're not that hard to work with. The military has certain codes and ethics. And, you know, it's not always a natural fit for civilians to work with them, but they are by nature, you know, predictable. Their values are quite clear, and you know what to expect. 
I'm glad you said that because culturally, even though you come from a background of foreign affairs and trade, and some people, especially outside of Canberra and outside of the Australian Public Service, might infer a sort of regimental approach from public sector and from foreign affairs and trade, I would venture to say that there are two totally different cultures going from DFAT to a military culture. Yeah, no, that's a good observation. Uh, for example, you know, military officers uh, and, and soldiers deploying to Afghanistan did sort of seven or eight months of training and, and went in there with a, with a strategy and a plan, whereas I was told to go in the direction of southern Afghanistan, go to Kandahar, see if there was a job there, go to Tarankat, Uruzgan, see if there was a job there, report back when I thought I knew what I was doing. So <laughs> I was really sent there to improvise. Uh, you know, DFAT values, values for flexibility, ground truth, uh, and things like that over, over regimental planning. And I guess that's because we're a smaller organisation, you know, we're, we're built to, um, to improvise, adapt, whereas the military is big, so they need to plan and be very organised. There's a complementarity there between the way they roll and the way we roll. And, and we certainly couldn't have operated in a place like that without them. You use that word, which I'll reiterate, which is predictability, because it really is a case of you be predictable because if you try and improvise, you might end up dead. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You, you, colleagues need to know what's expected and how you're going to operate. It's, it's part of being in, a, in any organisation uh, of any size. Whenever I think of Dust of Uruzgan and you, I get a lot of resonances, but one that will I will take with me to my grave, Fred Smith, is my standing outside the Art Sound Studios in Canberra one day and seeing this lone man in a rather impressive Pashtun hat walk into the compound and I was thrown off my kilter for a little while, and then I thought, oh, that can only be one person. Hello, Fred, how are you going? That hat it featured... It must have been winter. Those, those hats are good for winter, you know? <laughs> they, um, they, they insulate your head without messing up your hairdo. They do another thing, too, which my good friend Harry Manx can tell you, which is that they keep your top chakra very warm. <laughs> is that right? Yeah, he wears one, doesn't he? I was going to say that that hat features on some wonderful little YouTube clips of you doing something that you've done previously in uh, Papua New Guinea, which is you basically go there with your foreign affairs skills. You take some your yeah. guitar into some troublesome places, like maybe the home front. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. You know, and, uh, and, and it becomes useful for all sorts of reasons. I mean, I've played a lot of music with, with Australian soldiers over there, but, you know, I eventually formed bands with Afghan musicians. That is actually a uh, Afghan folk song we're hearing in the background. Uh, can you just tell us the artist again, the first name of the artist uh, that, that we're hearing in the background? Olympia. Olympia, of course. Olympia. Yeah, it's not the Olympia that's selling records by the Minions uh, from Melbourne. It's a different Olympia. Uh, the one in question is only three years old. Yes, can I just, um, can I just correct you there? Uh, I'm going to use some management phraseology here. She's not selling millions of records just now. So, you know, that's, a transitional phase. that's a future and possibly your retirement plan. Now, I mentioned the, uh, I mentioned the taking the guitar into those uh, war-torn and troubled spots. Did that form a part of your creation of Dust of Uruzga and the album, or was that more of a planned military style, okay, I want to cover this, I want to cover that, or did something just happen and, and it present itself? Oh, no, no, it's very, um, the songs themselves came in response to various incidents really you know I didn't actually write that much when I was there but I would often go on leave sort of working mining sort of style two months in then a few a few weeks leave so often I'd be working you know you're working six and a half days a week there mm -hmm. and it's intense 12 hours a day and most of the time it's actually quite interesting a lot of fun but then every now and then something 
bad would happen. You know, a soldier might be killed out in the valleys and the whole base would breathe and you'd feel that. So, you know, it's an intense, an intense emotional experience and I often found that as soon as I got on the plane, I would start hemorrhaging, just writing. Mm. And a lot of them just were obviously sort of boiling away at the back of my head while I was there. And, and, I, and I just needed the clear daylight in which to get them written. Then you mentioned that it went from a, an album to a book. Now, tell us more about the book and how that came about. Back in 2013, well, I guess I developed a bit of a profile singing these songs. In fact, I was playing the Dust of Lurus Game song at the opening of Ben Quilty's exhibition. Oh, okay. In, I think, late 12 or something, maybe early 13. One of the publishers from Alan Lund, one of them called Jane Polperman was there and she saw me and emailed me a few months later that I think you've got a book in you. And mm. um, by the time she emailed me, I was actually back in Afghanistan doing a second stint. And I thought, a book? Wow, that sounds like hard work. <laughs> but I, I was kind of intrigued by the notion. Yeah. And said, oh, yeah, and I'll uh, let's, let's talk. And then I sort of procrastinated for another two years and got to the point where I ran out of excuses not to write the book. And so then I sat down and started writing it in November last year, drawing mainly on my diaries, which I've got about two foot worth of shelf space worth of diaries, like 26 diaries. I, I gave them all an alphabet, um, an alphabet, a letter, A, B, through to Z. So I had an A to Z worth of diaries there, thick mm. red books, you know, hardbound numbers. And drew on them and eventually wrote it all into the book. Uh, each chapter ostensibly deals with how I've got one of the songs written, the background okay. of one of the songs, but, but that's sort of given me the architecture to roam a bit through my own experiences, my own stories, as well as a bit of Afghan history, anecdote and conversations and meetings, all of which I think adds up to a fairly comprehensive picture of what was going on over there in this obscure little province in which we were working. That is so resonant that you say that for the reason that I was listening just to the other day to an interview I did with another person and the question I asked specifically was, do you go ahead and actually was an artist, was a Canberra artist, I beg your pardon, not a, not a musician, which is do you explain how that art comes about or do you leave it up to interpretation? And the other corollary to that is that I actually uh, messaged Sarah Blasco, the singer-songwriter. Look, I'll be honest, it was a bit of a reaction to one of her songs, which is getting a lot of airplay at the moment on SBS Chill. And I basically jumped in with what was on the face of it, an assumption about that song. And then she came back, God love her, within about two or three hours or maybe 12 hours and said, no, actually, that's not what it's about. It's what somebody said to me. And then there's that process. So I'll ask you then, is that for you a bit of a cathartic thing or is it a bit of uh, opening up your soul to explain how the art comes about? I had no particular need to explain how the art came about, but what, what was interesting to me was that each of the songs I wrote had a kind of backstory. Sure. And, and those backstories were infinitely deep and wide, and uh, I just thought it was an interesting way of framing, framing my own account of my experiences over there and, mm. and giving people some, some, some insights into why things were the way they were. So it was really a device more than anything else. Yeah. Having said that, the whole process of writing the book um, turned out to be quite cathartic for me. I feel a lot lighter for having done it. <laughs> yeah. There is there is a wonderful uh, look. Without being too indecorous, there's a there's a wonderful dumpiness about getting some stuff off your 
Well, whichever body part you want to talk about, it's 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 uh, clearing your bile ducts. Sometimes it's uh, getting it off your stomach, off your chest. It's uh, can sometimes feel like you can leave it over there and, and refer to it if you need to, but not have it sitting around your neck, head, shoulders, or any other organs. <laughs> Perfect answer. Okay, Fred, we could do this all day, but let's not. Uh, can you just give us a little bit of information about some of the dates that you're going to be doing when you're going to present this uh, book launch and also the, uh, the, the bit of the concept of Dust of Ura's Gun? Right. So, in addition to the album, book, there's sort of, it's not a musical. It's not Afghanistan the musical, but nah. it's a show that I've built where I tell stories and sing the songs and then and meanwhile I project a series of images most of them taken by defence force photographers from Uruzgan province mm-hmm. it's it's a show called Dust of Uruzgan and I'm going to present it by way of a book launch at the um, Red Hill Community Sports Centre on Friday the is that what it's called? It used to be the Ithaca Bowling Club. Let's just call it the Red Hill Community Centre I think that's what they present themselves in Facebook as Red Hill Community Sports Club, formerly the Ithaca Bowls Club, mm-hmm. 7.30pm, 22 Fulcher Road, Red Hill, on Friday the 14th of October. The details are on my website, redsmith.com.au. And then we'll be taking the show down to Melbourne on the 27th of October. Whereabouts in Melbourne? And in lesser known places like Warrnambool, Malden, uh, Dorigo. Uh, we're in Melbourne, Bella Union. No, I have not heard of that that venue, but I'm 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 keen to find out more. It's nice. It's good. We did a show there back on the 9th of September. It sold out, so we put another one on. The 9th of September. That actually rings rings very large. In fact, you'll find a lot of stuff on my Facebook about Friday the 9th of September. But guess what? It's got nothing to do with Dust of Ruizgan, so let's leave that for another time. Fred, thank you so much. I'm going to include links and bits and pieces on the uh, WordPress article that can lead people to where to find out more about all of those shows. For now, though, can I thank Olympia from all of the people listening in to Olympia. She's, she's been, uh, I think she's definitely got a, a, a future on, in sta- on stage. Have you uh, inferred that yourselves? Yeah, I, I don't know if I'd want to pursue this line of work, you know. <laughs> curious. <laughs> so, is, is... Well, if, she, if she's got to do it, she's got to do it. That's all I can has, has Mary Ann got a, a few other uh, things in line for her in her life, has she? I hope so. <laughs> Fred, thanks so much for talking with us today, and I look forward to uh, seeing you somewhere down some dusty road in the not-too-distant. Good one, mate. Talk soon.